0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Boy, I'm going to expand on this idea through the message, but I know that some of us may be in a time, in a season of our lives where it's irritating to hear the words, Happy New Year because right now you don't feel very happy about much in your life. And I want to remind you that our happiness cannot be ultimately found by looking at our lives. Uh, If that's where you're looking, you'll go low, you'll go high, you'll be all over the place. Our happiness is found in looking at Jesus Christ. And considering the fact that this God loves us, no matter what else is going on, no matter how weak and fallible, how wounded we are, He loves us. And He invites us to love Him back. That's where a Christian's happiness is found. And I want to just remind us to cling to that as we enter a new year. My name is Dave, and it's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors here at Harvest. And, uh,. We've been working our way through a series on the first letter of Timothy. Uh, It was called Life on Life, emphasizing how Christianity as a faith has always spread and grown as one person makes an investment spiritually in another person. And we're going to pick up that series next week and continue on for the first part of this year. But last week, we usually end the year with what we call Recommitment Sunday, where it's my opportunity as the pastor here to kind of frame where we want our hearts to be entering the new year. <clears throat> and last week, we just issued a call to remember the greatest commandment God ever gave us, and that is to love him with everything that we've got, to make this 2016, the year of loving God. Well, this morning, I want to uh, kick things off with another one-off message coming out of Colossians chapter 3. And it's on this idea that we want to expand out the scope of what that means to love God. To not just love God in church, not just to love God in the chosen areas of our lives that we want to give to him but to understand the great scope of just how much God wants to enter our lives. I want to read the text for you. And it's a long text, but I think there's more power in the word of God itself than in anything we could ever say about it. And so I want us to hear the word of God together this morning. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. Since then... Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive. with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's the word of God. It got cold real fast, and probably right now, some of you are still wearing your coats. Swimming pools and sunbathing are probably not heavy on your mind. But as I was preparing this message, one of the thoughts that came rushing to my mind was this idea: that the, at the pool in the summer, maybe the worst spot at the pool is where, do you know? Where's the worst spot in the pool? It's right at the edge of the pool just outside of it. And I remember one time at at our local pool, this woman was laying there trying to get some sun right by the edge of the pool, I guess to keep an eye on her kid or something, but my kids were splashing around because that's what you're supposed to do at the pool. And she was looking really angry at my kids because she was getting splashed. And I thought, well, lady, you're sitting at the worst possible spot at the pool, Because if you were on one of the lounge chairs far away from the pool, you could enjoy the warmth of the sun's rays unmolested. It'd be awesome, just unbroken warmth, goodness, washing over you. Or if you at least took the plunge and enjoyed the icy coldness of the water, you could frolic and enjoy the swimming pool. But when you're neither in nor out and you're right at the edge... It's so annoying because people will splash and even a stray drop feels like an icy missile just piercing your skin, doesn't it? And I think that's the way a lot of people experience the Christian faith. I think there are a lot of people who go to church on a pretty regular basis and their experience spiritually is very much like that. They're no longer way out on the fringes basking in the, the kind of ways they used to live once. Sometimes they still venture into that land, but they feel bad about it, and they come to church on Sunday. And so there is this dynamic where we're not that far away anymore, but then for many people, they haven't actually dived into the pool yet either. It's a very managed, measured relationship they have with God. And as a result, they're right there at the edge of the pool, and once in a while, that water from the kingdom splashes out, and you know that when you're not all in, Those splashes are more of an annoyance than a blessing, aren't they? How many of you sitting by the edge of the pool when the kid splashes water think, oh, it's so nice and cool, I should get in the pool. You get mad and you kind of shrink away from it. And that's the way it feels is when this kingdom spills out over the edge of the pool and touches you, it will be repelling rather than attracting. I think that should instinctively make sense to us. One of the central themes of Paul's teaching throughout the New Testament is that this faith will never make sense. You'll never fully understand why anyone would want this until you go all in. Christianity is not the kind of faith that you can add into your life partially dabbling at it and say, yeah, that was, that was pretty good. I'm at a good place. This is where I want to keep it. Me and God have a decent, neutral thing going on here where I have my space, he has his space, and I'm liking it. It'll never make sense like that to us. And so you will see people who are very far from God, and you'll think, I don't want to go back there. But you'll see people who are very close to God, and you'll wonder, what are they so worked up about? I don't think I've ever felt once like crying during a song at church. You don't have to raise your hand, but I know some of you have felt like, I don't think I've ever once in 20 years of being in church thought about crying because of a song. Yet there are these weepy people all around me who are like, oh, Jesus. And you're like, what is that all about? Why do they feel that and I feel none of it? And I guess what I'm trying to say is what Paul and rest of the the writers in the New Testament have been saying is that you cannot make sense of this faith without full engagement. It'll never work. You will be annoyed more than invited and drawn in by the splashing water of this faith if you're on the outside looking in. The reason that works that way is because Christianity is not a new way of life. It's not a moral code. It's not a belief system, but it is primarily a relationship with God the person. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know that in every love relationship in your life, There's no way you can enjoy it and sustain it without full engagement. There's not a single love relationship in your life which is life-giving and enjoyable if you start pulling back and withdrawing from it and giving less and less of yourself. And maybe you think you have a perfectly good reason for that withdrawal, but I'm telling you right now, your withdrawing is killing that relationship. Because love, by its very nature, cannot grow without commitment. It can't. There's no way for that to happen. And if we're called into a love relationship with God, it works exactly the same way. We cannot putter along passively and wait for God to mug us. We must love God and pursue that in the same way we would pursue any love relationship that matters to us. If your arms are folded and you're waiting for God, hear the invitation The door is wide open for you to walk forward and also pursue him. This relationship we have with God requires a full commitment of ourselves. So in this sweeping passage that we just read in Colossians chapter 3, Paul gives us a picture of the impact that Jesus Christ has on a human life. And I want to just point out two things I see in this very rich text. And the first is that Jesus changes everything. There's not one aspect of our lives Jesus doesn't want to touch when he enters our lives. He touches and changes everything. There are certain relationships in our lives that define us seem to bisect our lives between the before and after. Marriage is one of those. It's a good example, which is why I think God uses marriage as a good analogy for the relationship he has with us. That before I got married, I was what? I defined myself by my status. I was single. And then after marrying Jeannie, I was married. And that relationship defined everything. In fact, it so defined everything, I forgot what my life felt like. Before I, married people know what I'm talking about. I feel like I was married at birth. I, honest to God, cannot remember what life was like without her at my side. And that's the kind of relationship that being a Christian is. There's supposed to be a very pronounced discernible before and after transformation. It's a major event in your life. It's not like, yeah, I used to be this guy and then like I I came to know, I became a Christian, but like that's just a part of my life. It's not like that at all. It's a radical shift, a defining event in our lives where once I was far from God, I was spiritually dead, nothing was happening in my soul, and then I came to life. I love the saying that Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Do you understand that? And that's why it's no accident that the New Testament writers consistently use such intense language to describe this event. Jesus himself said it's a rebirth. That's why the man he said that to was like, what do you mean I got to go back inside my mother's womb? I can't do that. I'm too big. But he's saying, no, but it's like a rebirth. That's how radical this is. Pastor Frank led us through prayer in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Don't we just love that familiar verse? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come, right? But it's easy to forget that in order to get that good news of a new creation, that old guy has to die. Part of the journey of becoming a Christian is the death of who I was before Jesus. I can't hang on to that guy and enter this new life. It just doesn't work any more than wanting to have all the goodness of singlehood but still have a wife and the security of that. That doesn't work either. It's something that dies at the door of that, that threshold of that relationship, so that I can start this new chapter in my life. And you know what? Don't mourn and grieve that old guy who died. Good riddance. That old you that died before you knew Christ was a selfish, lazy... I I mean, there's so many... There's nothing good about that guy. Vindictive, jealous, angry, unforgiving, lazy, bitter... Everything about that old you sucked. I'm sorry, that's very strong language, but I gotta use some strong language. There is nothing to miss about that old you. That old you needed to die. It was everything that ruins this world, it's everything that has ruined your life, it's everything you hate in others. That's who died. That's who was put into the ground when you met Jesus so that he could make you new. All those things that brought death are gone. They need to die and not be resurrected. And it's really important that we cling to this truth that if I really want to lay claim to a status as a Christian, I am a new creation, there has to be a discernible death of that old self. People have to say to you, I don't know who you are anymore. I used to know you and you used to be like this, but he's changing you. Becoming a Christian has been a radical thing for you. It has affected every corner of your life. And I don't think we say this enough in church. Sometimes the picture in the American church is that it's a journey of incremental, gradual, sliding, drifting change. And maybe that's the case with sanctification, with growing in maturity. But man, when we went from death to life, it was a radical shift. And that's why Paul here also says, you died You were risen, but you died, and now your life is hidden with Christ. And that's why we now adopt a whole new way of thinking about ourselves, about other people, about life and reality. We approach life very differently than the way we used to because the old us cannot navigate life in this new kingdom. The logic the attitudes and the motives that we once were driven by don't work in this new life. That's why so many Christians experience such tension. They would best describe their life today as bondage, as being trapped or stuck. They don't feel any of the freedom or joy because they are still operating under the logic and the motives and the attitudes of the old life that should have been put to death, but it's still alive and well and it is ruling the day. That old Jew which was weak and divisive and defeated and bitter and stuck and paralyzed, that old Jew is still raging forward and must be put to death so that Christ Would become a new creation in you. Look at this list of things. It's so interesting. Paul uses in these verses, verses 5 through 14, the imagery of changing clothing. I think that's a really good paradigm for thinking about spiritual life following Jesus. Is that it's like you were washed and you took off some old, soiled garments. These things don't belong on a clean body anymore. So you take them off, and you're putting on a new wardrobe that he's providing for you. And that's a beautiful image for what it looks like practically to be a Christian. And he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And when you see this, it could be easy to glaze over and just go, well, there's the usual suspects, blah, 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 sex, sex, greed, whatever. But look at that list, because you know what that list represents, That's a list of the kind of things that people do when they're spiritually dead but still want to feel something. This is the story of human life, that we are spiritually dead when we're born. We are spiritually dead, but we want to be alive. And until we meet Jesus, we won't know real life, so we will settle for life in the flesh. And that's why... Hollywood and video games are a multi-billion dollar industry because they simulate this idea that I want to feel everything I was made for right now, and we can't. When you're spiritually dead but still want to feel something, that's when you say, at least let me feel something in my body. I want to feel the warmth of the sun. I want to feel the wind in my hair. I want to feel the thrill of new love. Making my heart quicken. I want to look at someone and be excited to see them again. I want to touch strange flesh. I want to have more. I want to try this and I want to go there. And I want to just be alive. And I see that attitude very alive and well in the church. This obsession over feeling alive. The spiritually dead will do anything and pay any cost to feel something. But what Paul declares, what Jesus declares, is in Christ you are alive. Stop obsessing over feeling alive in the way that spiritually dead people try to pump something into their hearts just to feel. You are alive in Christ. You don't have to try to do things to feel alive. You have to live in the reality that you are made alive. You were once dead, but now the life that courses through you is better than a vacation or a new car or a new love affair. It's better than those things. So he says those things which you used to need just to feel anything in the morning, you don't need anymore. Because right now, even on the worst day of your life as a Christian, you are very much alive. You are alive. And you're not just alive, but you're being made new, and you are greatly loved. And so he says, these are the old garments, the soiled gym clothes you have to take off and and discard. They don't belong on you anymore. You know, the truth is, when I was 20, I loved dancing. I was kind of good at it, too. You wouldn't know that if you see me at a wedding reception today. But you know what? Something strange happened. When I was young and the music would be, you know, and my favorite song would come on, like Bizarre Love Triangle by New Order or something. That's my jam. I'm like, oh, it wouldn't matter if the President of the United States was talking to me. I'm like, dude, that's my jam. Like, i see you later. I got to dance to that stuff. And I would feel it, and I would feel so alive on the dance floor. I don't care who I'm dancing with. I didn't even care if it was a guy. I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm just feeling so alive. And then, I grew in Christ, and still, yes, I still have the capacity to enjoy it, but there was this disappointment, like, I used to do this, and it made me feel so different, now I just feel stupid, I'm just gyrating, I'm like, what is this? What am I doing? Do you know what I'm talking about? How you try to go to the old things that used to make you feel alive, and it's just so disappointing, it's like, it doesn't do it for me anymore. Well, what he's saying is, you don't need any of that. It's nice to get it in small measures. It's great. It's part of life. But you are alive in Christ. Stop pretending that's not true. Tell your heart it's true. You are alive in Christ. And then he says, don't just stand there naked having your your soiled clothing discarded. There is a new wardrobe I provide you. Put on these things, right? But he says, look at this though. Look at this list. Don't just put off the things that you once did to feel alive. The old nature, when you wanted to feel alive and someone got in your way, how did you react? Everybody wants to feel alive. And when someone got in the way of my feeling happy, The old me got serious. Oh, you just made it personal. You stood between me and what I want, what I need. I'm going to crush you. I actually said those words a lot when I was younger. In fact, my college friends will remember, I used to say the words, I'm going to crush you like a chicken bone. I was not a good person before I met Christ. So he says, these are the things we used to do out of that raging passion to feel alive even though i was really dead i would react by doing violence emotionally and verbally and even physically if you got in the way of my happiness and what i needed i was going to destroy you and often i did it verbally and emotionally i was good at that i would i would want to reduce people to crying because you upset me you stood in the way of something i wanted I didn't get violent as much because look at me, I'm not that big, I'm not stupid, I don't go fighting much bigger people, but I could tear a big man down with my words and my wit and my emotion, and I did it a lot. I made girls cry all the time, but I even made guys cry because the old me was a total jerk. If I met the old me today, we would not be friends. I would think, what a flake. That's just the truth about me. It's like this. He's saying it's not like you become a Christian, you don't feel any of these things anymore. There are still flashes of anger. There are still flashes of jealousy and all of those things. But it's like this. Imagine that you came out of the shower nice and clean and in a rush to get somewhere. You put on the first underwear you saw, only to realize, oh, these are yesterday's gym underwear. Still a little damp, a little ripe. A couple flies buzzing around, you know that. And you just came out of the shower and you're sitting in yesterday's funk. What do you do in that moment? Are you like, oh, well, whatever, th- these will do. Do you just linger in them? Who's that stupid? Any of you? Most single guys will probably just keep it on. There's <laughs> less laundry to do. You know, because single guys are dumb. But, <laughs> but, you know, once you're married, you're allowed know to do stuff like that. You immediately take it off. Because even though yesterday at the gym you were wearing that funky stuff, it smelled bad, yesterday when you were dirty, it was fine. But today when you're clean, yesterday's soiled underwear feels really inappropriate on you. It doesn't feel like it belongs. And so immediately, what do you do? You take it off, you shed that garment. And that's the way it's supposed to be like for us as Christians. It's not that you don't feel rage and anger and offense anymore, but you don't linger in it. You don't just keep it and go, this suits me. I'll, I'll just wear this all day. Because it's not appropriate for those who have been made clean. That's the soiled underwear of your old self. And you used to nurse and cultivate and linger with those feelings. Oh, you want to play that game? All right, let's go. Bring it. I'm going to destroy you tomorrow. You want to take my promotion? You want to take credit for my work? We'll see. We'll see. And the old me would plot for a year to get my revenge. Man, if you could see some of the Michelangelo masterpieces of revenge I orchestrated when I was a younger man. I would not forget, man. I would wait a year to get you back. And you'd get it. That's the old me. When I have those feelings again today, they feel strangely inappropriate. That doesn't mean I'm not capable of lingering there, of choosing to wear it all day anyway. That's what's destroying so many relationships today. So many friendships, so many marriages, so many parent-child relationships destroyed because even though we are made new and cleansed, when those old soiled garments touch our skin, we linger there. We just keep them on. We nurse it. We cultivate it. And they don't belong on us anymore. The minute you know that's there, as a follower of Jesus, you shed it right away. You say, no. The old me would have nursed this to culmination in revenge. The new me puts it aside. Jesus has covered this. I will not nurse this offense, I will not seek revenge. It's covered. The new creation we're becoming has the capacity to put things down, to let things go. And so he says, put on these new clothes. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and above all else, the top coat of love. I could go on for days expounding on these words here, but I'll make it simple and say it this way. These are the new clothes that we must actively seek out and put on. And if you think about it, the very imagery of clothing is fascinating in and of itself. Because you can't really see yourself in your clothing most of the time. I looked at myself this morning in the mirror just to make sure I didn't look like I was an idiot. Does it vaguely match? Yes. Blue and gray, I think, goes together. So I put it all together, and that's the last time I saw all of this magnificence. Okay? I don't get dressed for me. Do you realize you don't either? I mean, do you see yourself all day? Not unless you're constantly like have your selfie stick out and you're monitoring your appearance. We get dressed, we choose our clothing to control not the image we see of ourselves, but the image that others see of us. Clothing, by its very nature, is the management of our image. It is Telling people, this is what I want you to see when you look at me. But ultimately, our clothing isn't just about managing others' view of us. It's a revelation of the way we view ourselves. So that's why sometimes you will go, she's a little too old to try to pull that one off. Or "Uh, he should not be trying that one. Um, Sir, your muscle shirt era came and went a long time ago. Please don't ever wear spandex. And that that kind of thing. And I'm getting dangerously close to that age where I've had people tell me, Dave, you should probably retire that. It's too young for you. I'm like, shut up. In my flesh, I'm outraged. But I know it's true that ultimately we dress not as others see us, but as we see ourselves. So that whatever garments we choose to put on ultimately expose the way we really see ourselves. That's why some of you ladies, for the man in your life, you're like, I wish you would dress more like this. You try to buy him this like satin disco shirt with huge lapels. You're like, just kind of like that guy did. Just try to pull that. Up. And he's like, no, I'll never wear that. Come on, you always wear t-shirts and jeans. Just once. Wear. And it's like trying to pull teeth, isn't it? Trying to get your man to change the way he dresses. You're like, forget it. Just forget it. You know why he won't? It's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he cannot see himself the way you're trying to see him. I'm not that guy. I can't wear the disco shirt, honey. I, I know you want me to be that guy, but I don't do skinny jeans. It's just not in me. I can't. I just can't. Do you realize that clothing is ultimately an expression of our view, our identity? And so, when he says put on compassion, kindness, you know why a lot of people can't do that? Because they still see those attributes as weak. That sounds like sissy stuff. Oh, kindness, compassion. I want to be humble and gentle and patient. No, I want to be strong. I want to be a fighter. I want to win. I want to be remembered as a winner, not as the guy who went, oh, you first, please, just go ahead. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the champion of the world. And because I see myself this way, I deserve better than that. I have rights to, you know. And we say those things, and because we see ourselves that way, it's hard to put on garments that don't fit the image we have of ourselves. And so Jesus says, put on compassion. I, I know what you're saying, I know what you're going for, but that's not me. I can't wear those things yet. And so the challenge here is not simply to fake the behavior, the demeanor of those who are compassionate and humble and kind and gentle and forgiving, but to realize unless you change the way you see yourself, you'll never be able to act like a Christian. You won't be able to put on the garments of a Christian unless Jesus radically changes what you see when you look in the mirror. Do you understand that? The last thing I ever want to preach from this pulpit is a message of mimicry, of pretending. Hey, let me train you on how to act like a Christian, how to look like a Christian. What I want to tell you from this pulpit is you are a Christ follower. He is making you new. He is changing you radically from the inside out. Look at what he's doing. Live out of that. Let me just end this way with these very familiar words in verse 17, Jesus not only changes everything, but we're reminded that everything is for Jesus. There's no part of our lives that don't belong to him. I think that's very uncomfortable for us to really get a grip on, but that's the truth. When I grew up in the faith... In high school years, especially, I would hear the phrase Christian life thrown around a lot. Like my friends, even my youth pastor asked me, Hey, uh, how's your Christian life going? And I always thought that was a very strange way of putting it, but I always go, Yeah, you know, I'm reading the Bible, I'm praying. I guess what they meant by Christian life is, How's your religious activity going? How are you doing on that front? And it made me feel like I was an FBI undercover agent with a legend. Like, you know, are you cultivating this identity, this layer of your identity? And the idea was this. When you talk about a Christian life versus what? Your love life, your married life, your school life, your family life, your sports life. I don't know what, what lives, how many lives you have. What he's saying, what, what those people are saying is becoming a Christian is like adding another dimension to your life. Like, I am a man, I'm an American, I'm a pastor, I'm a father, I'm a citizen of the United States, I'm a suburbanite, and I'm a Christian. It's not like that at all. Becoming a Christian doesn't add another dimension or layer to your identity, it becomes everything. There is no Christian life, there's just life as a Christian. I know those are familiar words. But what I'm asking you to do this morning is to consider whether in some subtle way you have already started to segment your life back. And your Christian life is what happens here on Sunday and maybe in a house on Friday at small group. But the life you live in between those nodes, that is the real life Christ is interested in the way you talk to the people in your family, the way you process your anxiety and your unresolved longings, the way you handle disappointment, the way you respond to conflict or betrayal, all of those things are part of the life Jesus Christ wants to redeem. And so he says, whatever it is you're doing, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ, because it all belongs to him. There is not a part of your life that Jesus doesn't want to redeem. But let me put it another way. There is not a part of your life that Jesus cannot make better than what you're doing with it. I guarantee you that. When Jesus moves into our lives, and he touches any part of our lives that we give up to him, he begins to change that old you that vindictive, bitter, unforgiving, lazy, self-centered, egotistical you that was destroying everything it touched. And he begins to replace that you with more of him. Selfless, loving, forgiving, gracious, sacrificial, patient, kind, long-suffering. All those beautiful virtues that make Jesus so attractive, he wants to replace all of that old stuff with those things and redeem that part of your life so you don't have to struggle through the muck. The life of a Christian is a journey of perpetual surrender then, of saying, Lord, I struggle in this part of my life, but I feel like I have never really yielded it to you. I invite you to enter this part of my broken life Rebuild me from the inside out. Take over. Show me what you can do because I'm making a mess of it. I start, I fail, I stop. I start, I fail, I stop. I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I hanging on to control? Teach me to let go. To surrender to you. You do something better than what I'm doing with this. Please. So as you turn the page, and it's really only January 3. I don't know. How many of you are still on your New Year's resolutions so far? Day 3. How's that Bible reading plan going? How are the workouts going? Yeah. Usually by January 3 is when the health clubs get real quiet again, and the regulars are like, finally, all the New Year'sies are gone, and it's just us again. But as you face a new year, let me ask you something. Do you want to be stuck where you are right now? Do you like it? Some of you, you're okay. Don't, I'm not trying to create problems where there are none. But I know some of us don't want to be in this exact same place, January 3rd of 2017. That would be terrible. So if you don't want to be where you are, what's going to change? How is God pressing on your heart this morning? through what he said to you, through his spirit. Is he challenging you about this obsession with wanting to feel alive? To want to mimic Hollywood's version of life? Will you receive the truth that he has made you alive? You used to be dead in your soul, and you are alive already. And the fullness of that life is hidden with Christ It won't show up until he returns. This is not our world. It's not our home. This is not as good as it gets. We were made for better than this, and it's coming. Your real life, glorious, is hidden with Christ until his return. But you are still today very much alive. Will you receive that? Don't waste your life trying to feel something he has already died to make you. See, maybe challenging you about some soiled garments that you need to take off. Are the people closest to you saying, really, it's getting old? Cut it out already. You're a drag. This thing of yours, your countenance, your grumpiness, your perpetual bitterness, it's getting really old. I'm starting to lose my ability to stay with this. I don't know if I can bear with this any longer. Please change, because your old garments are smelling up the whole place. Are you hearing that from the people who know you best? Are there old garments you need to shed? Are there new garments you need to put on? And I guess what we're really saying is, do you need to change the way you see yourself? And lastly, is there some area of your life you've been sensing for a while that God wants you to surrender to him? You've been protecting it from him for a long time. Is there an area of your life that he's saying to you this morning, just let go. I could do better with that than you've managed. But you're protecting it too much. Surrender it. See what I could do with it. Just let go. Would you risk trusting God with your heart? I mean, you're going to trust him with your eternity. Would you risk trusting him with your heart? I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up. And I want to invite us just to bow for a moment. And uh, I think this is a time where we're really encouraging you to listen for the voice of God in a very direct way. We'll just take a few minutes, but I want to invite you to listen now for the voice of God. Is it possible that you've been pursuing life as a divided being? And what Jesus is saying to you this morning is no, no. All of it is mine. I'm here to save your whole life. To touch all of it. Don't hide anything away from me. It's all For me, and I'm going to make it all better. Would you listen now for him? We're going to just have the band play, and uh, for three minutes or so, just listen. Okay. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church.